Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hello and welcome to Park Date. You might be sat on a sweaty train or in a crumbling Victorian hovel, but for the next insert number of minutes, please, we'll be taking you back to nature. Because in each episode, we'll rip up the podcast rulebook and kidnap, well, lead, a different guest to their favourite local park. And there, we'll talk about the things that they like to do. So pack a picnic blanket. Try saying that after a few Proseccos. Our guarantee to you, lucky listener, is that this episode will contain one or more of the following. Ice cream, swings, grass, dog walkers, drunks, canoodling couples, a possible mugging, and fun in the sun unless it rains. So join me, Christopher Beanland. Yes, that is my real name. And a special guest as we try to create the perfect park date. listening to and in this episode there's a very sensible and highbrow chat with real writer Travis Elborough he's the coolest looking guy in Stoke Newington he has brilliant glasses which makes sense because he wrote a book about the social history of spectacles he's also written things about Things like buses, uh, the seaside, music, all kinds of interesting cultural issues and social history. And crucially, he wrote a book about parks called A Walk in the Park. And it's uh, an interesting read talking about the history of public parks, which ties in nicely to my book about uh, city parks which is coming out next year so me and Travis talked about that as we strolled around Butterfield Green in Stoke Newington which is a small and quite recent park built on uh, some well the site of some houses it was uh, bomb damaged during World War II um, some houses were pulled down to create the park Travis will be explaining that to us during this chat, and we'll be talking about some other things as well, including a very brief mention of him interviewing one of my heroes, J.G. Ballard. I'm very jealous about that. 
If you like Park Date, please do subscribe. And uh, it would also be great if you'd leave a review. And the funniest review will win a prize. Why don't you follow us on socials, Park Date Podcast on Instagram and Park Date Podcast on Twitter. So here we go, Travis Elbra in Butterfield Green. Welcome to Butterfield Green in Stoke Newington, North London. Um, I'm here with a writer who I really like, Travis Elbra, and we've uh, come here to have a look, uh, look around this park and to talk about parks, parks in general. We met by the bandstand, which we're looking at now, and Travis um, pointed out something interesting to me about this, this bandstand, and especially its, its roof. Uh, it's not the it's not the greatest bandstand, is it? For not really. I mean, I I'm not sure I've ever seen any bands standing under it for a, for a start. Yeah. But, but the roof is perforated. Mm. There's a ho- huge hole in the top of it, and so it would offer no shelter to any jogging musicians. Should a downpour yeah. occur, and let, let's face it, in North London, this, you know, rain is not unheard of. Um, so I don't. There's something. I mean, I quite like it. It's, it's a spare design, mm. but. I read into it a slightly malevolent factor that, mm. it, that it seems like it's been designed to stop people dossing under it or, <laughs> or sheltering under it for, for too, young, too long. Yeah. It has that, that vibe that it's about making people move on rather than people being kind of restful beneath it. For, yeah. um, I don't know who designed it, so I, I, maybe I'm, I'm in, impugning the, the <laughs> motives of the person who designed it or, or the, you know, the park makers who decided that this... I mean, it, it sort of looks like a spider's web, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it does um, look like a spider's web, yeah. Uh, which, again, doesn't really sing tunefulness yeah. um, unless, I don't know, I'm not actually sure. Do spiders sing? I don't know. Yeah, what? what <laughs> I mean, there's it, a web, but you know. I, I, I wonder what kind of uh, what kind of music. The music of spiders. What's we yeah. all the music of spiders? What kind of music would I, I imagine? Spiders would make a kind of uh, maybe something that would uh, be on warp records, like yeah. that kind yeah. of yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that exactly. kind. minimal techno. Is what exactly. we're saying. Really. Yeah. 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 The clickiness of an in, an arachnid uh, yeah. life. Yeah, but maybe maybe it would be perfect for them. But it make you make a good point, Travis, because I think. The thing with parks is that they're these welcoming places that you bring your kids, but there's also a kind of seediness to it as well. When you're a teenager, you're going to get drunk Well, I mean, I mean, this park, I remember overhearing someone on the mobile phone saying, I'm in the Dossers Park. They <laughs> so, were referring to Busfield Green yeah, as the Dossers, Dossers Park. park. Ah. Which, you know, it's a little unfair. I mean, there are other parks where you know, Dossers yeah. are welcome. Yeah. Too. I mean, again, in... I mean, this is a, a fairly contemporary park. I mean, it was this this area yeah. was this particular area of, of Stoke Newton, Newington Green was 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 heavily bombed mm. during the, the Second World War, um, and uh, parts of this uh, what became the park were, were bomb sites and so yeah. on. But, but it so it, it in, but it's fenced. It has these rather elegant gateways into it from yeah. from Allen Road here. Um, so in that respect, it conforms to some elements of a traditional park. But but at the other end, it's its form and shape is 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 quite different and um, and kind of more linear. Um, and I think we'll probably walk through and have a look at the orchard. Yeah, which let's is start the community. Walking, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and yes, it is. It is a more. It is a more recent one, isn't it? I think. Were there kind of old houses on here as well? Yes, as there were. There were some. There were some they were demolished cleared, and they? some ruined houses. I mean, yeah. It, yeah, it, yeah I mean, I, the, I mean, the, the plan for it began in the 1970s, but I think it was only really in the 1990s that it was completed as a as a park. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've I've lived in this area since about 2003, um, and obviously it was obviously finished by finished yeah. finished by then. But I'm, I live not far away from it in, yeah. the, in the late 90s, and I remember it being a thing, or being a being a park, being another green space. Um, but uh, I mean, so the, to the left here, we're just walking on this, this walkway. There's um, a kind of rockery type feature uh, with a with a. I think it used to be more flooded than it is. There's a, there's a yeah, there's you a can, kind of tap here. You can <laughs> pump water, right? Yeah, so kids can talking. create. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a kind of uh, yeah, a kind kind of uh, running river. It, it looks yeah. like you can't do that anymore, which is sad. I think it might be, maybe the... it's a post-COVID thing or something. Oh, I don't know, possibly. Yeah, because I you mean, could... there's a little. I mean, again, the, in some respects, the, it, it, there's lots of elements of this which mm. are quite traditional. So we've got the rockery, yeah. which is a you know, classic sort of late Victorian thing. We've got a. A bridge over this um, yeah. water feature, rockery well, type thing. This um, bridge, incidentally, uh, Jamie Dimitriou, the comedian, mm. did a tweet um, where he was laughing at the Google Maps directions, <laughs> taking, taking him over this bridge, yeah. which does look like something that would span a canyon in a uh, Indiana Jones film or something. But it's so, about it. You could just hop over that really. Yeah. You? <laughs> <laughs> if you're feeling energetic, you may, you may be not feeling that. Yeah. Like, energetic but it's kind of a slight uh, it's not exactly a rope bridge because it's mm. metal wiring but it has has that vibe to it yeah so yeah i think i can certainly get the indiana jones element and you know the temple <laughs> of doom with these stones that are yeah that are arranged here but i mean i don't know the, i'm assuming these are concrete i mean the famous the famous material um with which victorian rock gardens were made with this thing called pulamite uh which was a fake rock which could be colored um, developed developed by uh, James Pullum and Company of Broxbourne, um, and lots of Victorian parks and actually and and seaside places as well. Ramsgate has quite a lot of pullamite. Um, they'd be coloured sort of purple and green, quite quite exotic looking. But it was a whole strange hangover from the popularity of mountaineering and alpine gardens and stuff in the late Victorian period. So, they were so it's all a bit like Sherlock Holmes falling off, yeah. you know, uh, falling to his death down the ravine yeah. you could have in your local park. And, and so here in Newington Green we have a, an approximation of, of that. I mean, these, these um, they're slightly... Are they too tidy? I don't know, these rocks. They, 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 yeah. they, they look a bit too... Um, well, it, it reminds me... They're it, smooth, aren't they? Exactly. They, they, they've been worn away by, by the tides of time. The tides of time. It reminds me of, um, uh, of, of, of geography when you uh, learn about um, glaciated yeah. landscapes. And I'm desperately trying to remember um, what the uh, technical term is for these rounded... Mm. I want to say moulins, but I think that's... Yeah. It's, it's I didn't do geography, really. <laughs> so, sadly, I can't help you on, my, on the rockology there and so on. But, you know, but it's quite... I mean, kids do play in this area, yeah. and they seem to have quite a lot of fun with it. Um, mm. And when the pump was running, it would be a bit more um, aquatic, yeah. uh, shall we say. But, I mean, it's... Um, I think, you know, there's, it's got quite a nice sort of vista, hasn't it, really? really Indeed, and lots here. of uh, animal life. I can see a robin yeah. here, which is quite, uh, quite a nice sight as yeah. well. Um, so, yeah, people um, people definitely like to come and 
come and use this park. Um, but yeah, it's a little bit of a little bit of a different different thing to maybe some parks that people are people are used to, isn't it? It's if it, it's like a hidden away back street park, yeah. which, I, which I rather like about yeah. it. Is that you know you've only got a step. I mean, not the, 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 the mean streets of Stoke Newington, <laughs> but you know, but you. It seems like a little little green oasis yeah. in some respects. Um, so we're just about to walk into what's the, which is the community orchard. Mm. Um, so the, the sort of friends of Butterfield Green, so people who live in the area and so on, um, established this this orchard. Um, and in the autumn, they have kind of Apple Day and you know sell the juice, and there's a little kind of festivities around it. But but again. The, the slightly pedagogical thing that you get in one of the kind of earliest public parks, which is the Derby Arboretum, there are rival claims for this, obviously, and it's a bit complicated, but, but the point about the Derby Arboretum was that uh, they had, had a thousand trees, which is actually very similar to um, Avenue Park as well, the cemetery is in the north here, but the trees were all labelled with their names on. And so in this apple orchard here, we have the names of, of the the types of apple that are being grown that she says no picking please fruit not ripe yet um it's hardly we're still at the blossom stage at the moment but so very beautiful with the blossom yeah Yeah. so we've got um rippon's orange origin yeah cox's pippin does it say colorado was it say something something rather bucking it's a bit faded this label Mm. something somewhere in buckingham buckinghamshire buckinghamshire Um, so Yeah. yeah So a bit of the country has landed in um, a bit of bucks, anyway. Yeah, bucks the country these days. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's nice to have. Um, well, yeah, an orchard. You don't, you yeah. don't see those very often, do you? Um, no, I think it's it's probably one of the first to be established in mm. the centre of London for fifty years or so. I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, and to the left of us, there's also this adventure playground, uh, which is again goes back to this this post-war phenomena of having what are called junk playgrounds often on bomb sites so it's interesting that probably the bomb site was claimed as a as a, a playground before butterfield green was even turned in into a park but using you know the the, the bare bones of, of material to create something fun for kids um, to run around in and it's still still going strong in this this format so the yeah. bomb sites um predated the the kind of modernist playgrounds that you think of yeah. as coming with the the estates yeah. in the 60s people were just kind of using those those spaces using for the, the dead to... spaces in the, in the way that they, they yeah. were, and they were, for, they were kind of formalized as well by the 70s and so on most public parks um had some form of kind of adventure playground i mean i think this is the thing is in the post-war period as well that that Kids, kids become really important to parks. You have the eleven o'clock club things for mothers yeah. and their kids, um, and you have a lot more. I suppose a sense of play enters it really. I mean, if, if, I mean, if we're turning turning the clock back to kind of Victorian parks, really. You know, you're you're quite controlled within those spaces. You know, you were supposed to kind of promenade around them. Yeah, the so grass I, would be kind of fenced off. I guess so children on. weren't really welcome in the early parks, were they? It was well, I mean, they a, were there, but, right. but, but I mean, they had. But it's sort of by the 1860s you start to get formal playgrounds mm. and you know the witch's hat type swings and those type things come in, but it's quite contained, I, I, I would say. Um, I, but yeah, the post-war period, it's, it's definitely that parks are kind of a, a rethought in a way to accommodate. Um, children's play and, and I think also you know probably culturally you know, you've got a baby booming thing there's a lot of kids around but there's a, 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 a kind of 
some engagement with <laughs> child psycho- psychology. Yeah. I mean, I think one of, the, one of the really telling things is that the first appearance of Dennis the Menace, the famous striped, bog-brush-haired cartoon character, is, is in 1951 in the Beano. And in his f- very first uh, strip, he is battling against a, you know, um, a Jobsworth park keeper. Is he uh, really? Yeah, so it seems like there's a kind of generational shift. And, and the whole idea of the parky as well as the these parky, figures yeah. of authority. Whereas, you know, if you go to um, Victoria Park now, you know, the rangers are, uh, you know, very loving. They still stop a load of barbecues and other things. And yeah. they've, got, they've, got their, they've got their work cut out. But, you know, they, they see themselves as the facilitators of the use of the park. Whereas I think probably in times, times gone by, the park keeper was, you know, was you know, doing their own work, you know, trying to stop as much happening in the yeah. park rather Poli- than policing. Encur- exactly. And yeah. that, that kind of came back in lockdown, didn't it? I remember being mm. in, in Victoria Park. They were cracking down very harshly on people who were um, not taking exercise if we were sure. sitting on benches yeah. or appearing well, to... Well, I, mean, uh, I mean, here, these um, certainly the benches... It was actually more slightly down in Butterfield Green, but the right. benches had hazard tape on them to stop people mm. from stopping. Yeah. We were not supposed to, to linger. Yeah. I've, you know, and I've, I've just had... I've, I've unfashionably late, I've just had COVID. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but it kind of made sense, I guess. But, but it felt... I mean, I think the thing is, it, one of the things about COVID, didn't it? It brought out some of the pressures of park use because you had the people that, that wanted to do their exercise and probably been doing their exercise in, in private gyms where they've been used to being able to kind of do exactly what they want to do, the number of steps and all the rest of it. But then interacting with, you know, people in a public park and they were you know, wanting to run as they would normally run and encountering yeah. other people who were sauntering around and, and, and walking and so on. So it, I think it... It brought to the fore lots of the tensions which, which are there in park use anyway about who gets right of way. Yeah. Um, I mean, the whole thing about you know, certain parks where they're allowed to cycle through them, certain parks they're allowed to take the dogs off the leash, yeah. etc. All of these things. Because it's, it's always a really fascinating combination, isn't it, of what, of what the demands on a park are, what, how we use them, what how they've been designed. I mean, I always talk about the, the phenomena of the desire line, you know, where people cut across strips. And, you know, and that's, you know, the park makers have decided that's the route you're supposed to be going on. And we as users have, have decided to subvert that by just get, taking the yeah. shortest route possible. Yeah. And that interaction between the users and the makers, is, I think, is always really interesting. And also just that tells us a lot about how, you know, parks have evolved to accommodate changes in use. As I said, you know, the Victorian Park was very much about promenading uh, certain, pro- you know, certain prohibitions on certain games. I mean, Victoria Park, which is London's first sort of purpose-built public park, you couldn't play football there until the 1890s. It was, it was circumscribed. You had to go to Hackney Marshes to play football. So, and there were things, but there were things like archery and, you know, and coits <laughs> and these more um, genteel sports yeah. that, that, were, that so, were available then. And, no football, and, but coits allowed. No, exactly. And, and similarly, you know, um, I think the great thing about them, even, even, I mean, this is a relatively new part, but even some of the, you know, more august um, you know, parks have, have gradually adapted and accommodated different uses and, and different communities themselves have also adopted them for, you know, for their festivities or for, for gatherings and so on. And I think that's the fluidity of, of parks, yeah. in a way, I think is one of the, you know, the great boons of them. Well, I think um, 
one of the reasons that I'm here and that I was interested in writing about parks and maybe starting this podcast as well was uh, reading your book, Travis, A Walk in the Park, which I thought was very, very interesting. And it kind of um, made me think about something which, you know, we, we kind of take for granted, right? Maybe people, <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that you don't, I mean, you don't really give a second thought to. You just go there and you kind of expect that there's going to be a park. But actually... The story of parks is a very interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, what, what I mean, hard, quite yeah. hard fought yeah. as well. I mean, you know, lots of, lots of, you know, we're in, you know, Staten Island, Green, we're in Butterfield Green, but the big park, at, at, which is Clissold Park, um, slightly to the north of here, um, took an enormous effort to secure that, that green space for the for the residents of, of Islington yeah. and, and Stoke Newton and, and Haringey as was Hornsey actually it's borough of Hornsey yeah. as was um, and you know that battle in a way to preserve areas of green space for us within urban space was, was you know was a, was a tricky one because lots you know lots of land was lost to urban developments and um, and you know it wasn't as if the the sort of Victorians weren't aware of the benefits mm. of, of green space. They certainly were, certainly had become so by the yeah. kind of 1840s and 50s when the first public parks were created. But um, you know, there's always there's always a competition of you know of um, maintaining the parks. Who's going to finance them? You know, who gets to use them, etc. All these issues yeah. come to the fore. Yeah, different people doing different things. We're just walking past the basketball court and the table table, table tennis. Yeah. Table, but yeah, um, which again is a table tennis in parks is, is actually a, again a mm. comparatively recent thing, yeah. and and I, and I think though I may be wrong, I mean the example actually came from East Germany where they would have lots of uh, concrete table tennises up, and, and people and they would be free to use, and people could play the games. And there are a uh, lot in Berlin, still, yeah, aren't exactly. there? Yeah. So yeah. that's a, again a comparatively newish addition. To parkscapes that we just again, you know, now accept that they should be should be table tennis. Yes, <laughs> if not um, necessarily tennis, but yeah. yeah. But no, those um, those pressures that you mentioned on uh, you know parks and parks and their development, I think it's very interesting. Clissold Park was to be turned into housing, as mm-hmm. was Finsbury yeah. Park as yeah. well. And, yeah. and for Londoners, you know, if you could imagine the idea that you wouldn't have Finsbury Park and you wouldn't have Clissold yeah. Park, and there'd just be houses there instead, it would be quite a quite an awful thought for a lot of people who yeah. love to go and use those parks in all the different ways that people uh, people use parks but yeah it's definitely and the, and hard the, thought yeah for. and uh, but and there's an element where i mean th- the contrary thing in a way sometimes is that uh victoria park for example part of the funding for it was going to come from the creation of park-sized villas was going to come from mm. from housing so there's a and that trend has become a, a sort of prevalent one in more recent years, where developers will, uh, you know, sort of back either the, the survival or the creation of a park in order for exchange to have to sort of build nearby, so that has a kind of established precedent. Um, but I think there's also the, that thing where, for, for periods, particularly sort of in the in the late 80s and early 90s, when lots of parks were in relatively poor state for for various political and social reasons. Um, Parks become a sort of negative drain on an area, you know. That, um, and often there were protests against the creation of new parks because they were felt to be meccas for the undesirable, mm. the, you know, the dossers and, and, and so on. Um, and then, you know, 
I think it really takes the attention of the people living around the area to embrace their park, to use their park, but also to encourage you know, other people to come to it, um, which cemented, I think, the parks in the public. Yeah. Um, you know, well, not to the imagination, the people always loved them, but, but I think, you know, when parks become no-go areas, which for certain periods of time in, in more recent history they, they had been, um, then, you know, then you've got a problem, really. Yeah. Do you think, Travis, that there's uh, some aspect of us feeling uncomfortable as urban dwellers, like mm-hmm. the, the park is a way to reconnect to this past where we used to live in the countryside? When we were forest dwellers. We something. lived in the trees and <laughs> or the caves. And, and yeah. you know, it, it, is this our way to sort of say, well, actually, we're living in the city, but here's, here's something that connects us to our roots? Possibly. I mean, I, I, I mean, there is... It's an it's an interesting. I mean, I think it's it's two things, isn't it? It's on the one hand, I think there's just a genuine sense of in England, particularly, that there's the idea that the. I mean, there's a great London County Council film where it says, you know, some of us live in cities, but some of us think that's not quite right, which is why we've got plenty of green space. And it's that thing of there's always a sense that the countryside is the natural order, mm. that the urban is somehow some weird abomination, mm. that you know. Um, that you know, the, or, the, you know the, the, the whole point about you know the corrupting city, whereas you know the country bumpkin comes to the city and is corrupted by that. So that bias is there, um, and but then there is the genuine thing that actually green stuff is good for us and is good for the city as well. Yeah. Um, you know, it um, you know preserves temperatures. It does it does environmental stuff. It encourages biodiversity, etc. So all of the, the, you know. So there's a very enormous plus side to having green within urban urban spaces but i think you're right i think there's there's a there's a slight suspicion of the urban full stop uh, within the culture and I, um, I wonder if that's a particularly british thing because if you go to france or germany the urban or spain the urban is more people are more comfortable with that aren't they sure they exist yeah. in their squares and their cafes and yeah. they seem to be more comfortable urban dwellers whereas british people we kind of romanticise the countryside. We and you're always having a, your own garden. Yeah, the idea thing, of the garden, garden is, at, yeah, is yeah. actually quite it's a, a ridiculous. It's a yeah. ridiculous yeah. concept, which has then been exported to Australia and America and yeah. all these other places that Britain colonised. But the, the garden is is not a thing that you know really exists so much I mean, when I, you look think, at mainland Europe. I think I think the, the difference in a way is that the, the sort of British culture is quite about the home mm. and even and. In some respects, you know, parks are for people who don't, you know, they're the sort of the garden for people who don't have gardens. In the same way that maybe even, you know, pubs are the, are the, are the parlours for people who don't have room at home for their parlours. So the, and they're interesting, you know, the pub is obviously a, a more private space and the park is, is normally a sort of properly public public space yeah. but they, they pe- function people, in... people drink in both of them of course yeah exactly <laughs> you know put English people near some space yeah. <laughs> and alcohol will possibly gravitate towards them in, in by some miraculous means or other but yeah um, I think that it's yeah I think I think you're right I think there's this a slight fetishization and, and as you say I think in Europe um, and we are in, England is in Europe but the idea of the, uh, you know a, a square or the street as a much more public space, I think it seems more normal. Mm. It's, so it might be the weather, it might be lots of lots of other other factors, and certainly that's developed and changed over the over the decades. We think back to the lockdown, and even now, in, if you go into Soho now, you know, I mean, 
people you know having their coffee or their drinks outside or even their meals outside even 10 years ago that would have seemed mm. odd or not odd but you know unlikely and and similarly i mean um sort of i interviewed a kind of particular soho person once and he was saying well you know we we wouldn't we wouldn't be sitting outside having a coffee we'd be inside smoking keeping warm you know that that's you know, that's what people did um so i think this this turning around of the interior and exterior spaces which you know one of the interesting fallouts of this covid thing is that people have got much more used to spending time outside, outside. and you know and and, and socializing outside I, you know and that and that's been to the good parks have been never busier but obviously it puts pressure on them and mm making you know having them maintained and and so on but but i think you know i think we it's a it's it'll be interesting to see what the longer term fallouts of these things are about green space and obviously we need to get you know britain needs to get greener we need to have much more much more green space so in a sense something like butterfield green which obviously occupies former bomb sites and some old housing spaces and the rest of it but but it's tucked behind residential areas is you know it's more the way that parks are going to have to go really isn't it we're going to have to we're going to have to create and that people are still doing this Sheffield actually has done some interesting work on some of their former industrial sites in the city and creating green walkways and and so on I think you know the future of parks are going to be much more integrated into the city rather than even Butterfield Green you know with its fences and its gate and stuff conforms to that idea that it's this separate space from the streets around it whereas i think probably you know the I mean, I'm, I'm not a i'm not a landscape architect or, or a social theorist but but my feeling is that, that 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 blurring of the of the urban and the green which in a way you know def, we're talking about the idea of you know people feeling that the urban is unnatural something like that you know the, the greening up of urban urban space hopefully is not sticking a tree in <laughs> pointlessly into Falco Square or positing some yeah. ludicrously over, overpriced, uh, you know, bridge. Garden bridge. Yeah, exactly, mm. which we'll not talk about. <laughs> um, but something, you know, those sorts of things, yeah. in, integrating greenery into the, uh, the streets and, and the sort of lived environment, blurring in a way those distinctions between the urban and the park, I think is obviously yeah. the direction that we're, we're going to head in. Yeah, definitely. And Travis, you've you've written. I I, I see you as a, um, a a sort of a person who likes to really take a, a take their magnifying glass to British culture. <laughs> you know, you've written about things like the bus and holiday resorts and music and other things like that. Was there something? I mean, what what? Why did you choose the park? Was it something that you thought about or something that yeah, was meaningful I mean, to you? Well, I mean, I think. I mean, there are a couple of things. One of it was that there was a, there was a I don't know if you remember it, but, but in Turkey there was this thing called Gezi Park, which was um, one of the few areas of green spaces in um, Istanbul, which is under threat to being turned into a shopping mall. There was a big protest. Yeah, and there was a big protest, and there was actually a protest in about in Hyde Park, uh, in Speaker's Corner, um, and that you know that set a few things in motion, you know, thought-wise, thinking about. A, that, that idea of Speaker's Corner, just this, because I mean, lots of parks had their own individual Speaker's Corner. Clapham Common had its own Speaker's Corner. Victoria Park had its own Speaker's, speakers Corner. But these spaces, in a way, and that, that political dimension to parks as well, not just in their maintenance and structure, but they are spaces where protests can be had or you know opinions can be can be voiced. Seemed quite interesting to me as well. But yeah, and also at that time, talking you know, getting on for ten years ago now. 
austerity measures. There were there was there were stuff in the news about funding cuts to parks, where parks going to go in the same way that libraries. Some of the funding for libraries have been cut. So so it seemed a moment really to think about about them. And and also again, you know, as we said, I wasn't really aware of comparatively how recent parks are. Clissold Park, you know. Just over 125 years old. That's really not very long in the yeah. scheme of things, um, and in England's kind of history, if you think about it. Um, so, you know, that that thing of the these are comparatively recent creations. Um, you know, mid to late Victorian, uh, and you know, obviously there are other waves in the interwar period and in the postwar period. Different types of spaces are created. Green spaces are created, but but um, just the preciousness of that, really, yeah. and, and thinking about. How that might be taken away. There were certainly cases like um, in Sefton in, in Liverpool where there was a proposal to sell some of the parks. Um, um, Bexley Heath down in, in sort of South London, so I think, sold, sold a couple of green spaces and so on. And once you lose those green spaces, you, you're unlikely to get them, get them back, I, I felt. So there was, there was this element of protest and also perhaps a creeping sense of privatisation, which was coming into some of the parks as well. That, um, certain companies were were being given the run of certain parks to, to install adventure playgrounds, but they would, you'd have to pay to use them to this private company, you know. And that, you know, and if that brought money into the park more generally, then maybe there was a quick quo about that. But still, at the time, I thought it was worth thinking about and, and exploring. I mean, I was mainly interested in the history, but at the same time, there was a contemporary resonance about, you know, what. You know what our forebears, in a way, had thought with the use of parks. You know, some of those, some of those were, let's face it, quite patrician. Uh, you know, you're going to move through the park in a particular way. You're going to do certain things in it. Certain things weren't allowed. Um, but within that paternalism, there was, I think, you know, on balance, it was a, ben- it was fairly benign. Um, you know, it wasn't people weren't trying to extract. Planning for your next trip. Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, 
and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Value from the people using it other than maybe the social good. Mm. I mean, that social good might be a little um, unsavory to us in, in some ways, or feel a bit high-handed maybe, maybe yeah. more high-handed than anything. Um, you know, what's good for the poor, kind of that, that sort yeah. of idea, you know. Um, uh, you know, this, that idea that you know, it's the good for the lower orders sort of idea. You know, that way they won't riot if we give them this, yeah. this you know, this climbing frame and you know, that big fountain. Yeah. Know. Well, was that uh, uh, one of the reasons that the royal parks were created as well? It was kind of, uh, well, we'll we'll give you a little bit back. Sure. Yeah. And then, please, <laughs> well, they were private hunting. Do, yeah. Please don't unseat us from us. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't massacre us in, yeah. uh, you know, put his, uh, yeah, Uncle Nicky or whatever, yeah. you know, kind of, you know. Um, I mean, uh, uh, you know, again, there's always a balance in, yeah. in these things. Yeah, so. definitely. Well, let's let's um, yeah. have a have a little stroll again, and yeah. perhaps you can uh, tell me, Travis, if you have any particular memories of um, parks that you used to go to when when you were well, younger. Well, I, I, I do, but it, uh, it's the most unprepossessing <laughs> space, <laughs> green space. I think probably anyone. Um, can can have in respect, but but that but that didn't stop it being yeah. um, wonderful. Um, so it was. So I grew up on the the south coast, or near the south coast, anyway, to be exact. Um, I would say I grew up by the sea, but really I grew up by the A twenty seven. Is probably more accurate. <laughs> but um, and uh, anyway, in a village called we lived in a village called Sompting, um, and to reach my school. I would have to cross over the Sompting Recreation Ground. Right. Um, which, uh, until it got burnt down and then was demolished, but it had a, had a cricket hut. Um, what are they called? Cricket Pavilion. That's yes. What, yeah, cricket Hut. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that kicks sound very good for now. had a cricket pavilion, um, but mainly just pylons. It was just like a massive yeah. green, big square chunk of green, where there were football pitches and cricket uh, pitches. Um, and that was kind of it, really. Um, but that was where we went, you know. And, yeah. I, and I, I would have to cross it twice a day to go backwards and forwards from school. Um, and that was kind of formative in a way. And there was something about its its very blankness that it was just. I mean, the, the, it was the wreck, you know, REC. Yes, it's you know, funny uh, yeah, how um, we we shorten that in Britain. Don't we do yeah. a wreck? Yeah, yeah. very. And um, so that that was my so it wasn't landscaped by any stretch of the imagination, um, because my dad was a keen amateur sports person. Um, so he you know, was in a football team and was in a cricket team. Lots of my weekends were spent travelling with my dad and my, and my younger brother around various similar kind of you know municipal recreation yeah. grounds. So my first entrance, in a way, to parks were these rather utilitarian spaces um, where, you know, shivering around watching my dad play on then, and then in, in the cricket season I would, I would occasionally get to do the scoring on the cricket but it was um, but I, don't, I don't have any aptitude for sport whatsoever so, but, <laughs> so, but those, were the, those were the first parks that I was introduced to and it was, it was in, I suppose comparatively later on that, that I you know, finally encountered what you might think of as kind of gra- grand landscaped parks. I mean, there must have been some, but I, yeah. d- I don't really <laughs> remember them. I mean, there were there were things like you know, there's the, the Steen Gardens on the seafront at Worthing, which is a classic sort of Victorian um, 
seafront type garden and, and there was also Homefield Park which was a bit more landscaped and had some um, climbing frames and, uh, and so on but but yeah it was a fairly you know 70s 80s yeah. uh, you know slab of concrete with a climbing yeah. frame on it and a slide and some swings football pitches and that was yeah. about it uh, were, were you doing those when you were a teenager were you doing those things that teenagers sometimes do when you go and listen to music of course in yeah, the yeah. park yeah. and you know, drink we spent a beer all that, or yeah exactly you know, cans of cider or yeah. whatever it was, yeah, bottles of cider maybe even because it's, it's kind of the one place that you can go and yeah, not be absolutely. bothered and you have to spend very much money when you're yeah. there well you can't get into pubs at that age yeah. so, so you're just just lurking no there's a lot of I mean yeah it's the 70s and the 80s or the early 80s by this point yeah, there's a lot of hanging around in parks, you know, taking a, taking the girlfriend's dog for a walk around the park. You know, that was <laughs> that was that that, that, was, that amounted to the to the glamour and greenery of our, of our lives. I mean, we did have the South Downs to to our north, so there were there were other other green spaces, but as far as parks, as far as a formal landscape, they they were these rather utilitarian spaces. And I, but I don't I don't feel any remiss from that. I thought, I thought it was uh, or I feel any. Um, any lack that was yeah. that was there were there was something about the blank canvas of those which meant you could play games in them and and they were you know you could ink in the world that you wanted with it whether it was the landscape of you know tattooing and star wars or um you know the trenches of the, of the second world war or something yeah. or whichever war we were or game you were playing at the time. Do you think any of that contributed to you uh becoming a writer because I sometimes wonder if I I used to love kind of exploring the world around me and going to the park and going to the woods and stuff. And I think that maybe helped my imagination to to flourish. I don't think think it does any harm. And I think we're naturally disposed Mm. to peer and and explore, certainly. Yeah, I mean, I think... Well, you know, all of of it's... This is the thing, it's why these spaces are incredibly important for children because Mm. because they do fire your imagination. I mean, they're, they're very sensory, aren't they? That's yeah. why, if you think about it. I mean, I'm not very good at uh, plant identification, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. But, but yeah, and also the cycles, the cycles of the seasons. Mm. You know, you, it's very... Even in, even in these kind of rather bald um, wrecks, you know, you, uh, well, seasons are also measured out in what games have been played mm. as well, you know, whether it's the football season or the, yeah. or the cricket season. But, but you see the... The landscape change, you know, the leaves from the trees, and maybe you know, different types of birds and things. Um, and the, you know, those things are. You're, I think you're, you're strangely, you're quite sensory, aren't you, when you're a child as well, because you, your world is quite small. So little subtle differences in it, you do pick up on that sense and, mm. and smells and particular aromas and, and scenes. I think those all kind of feeds into the brain you know? yeah that's true and i think we i think we were encouraged at school to write about things like that as well the kind of poetry about nature yeah there was a nature table exactly yeah, yeah. yeah i think you know yeah. kids love animals and kids yeah. love like the natural world so it's kind of i, I think they were probably maybe some of the first things i wrote about mm-hmm. you know poems about the birds that you would see or sure things yeah, like yeah. that um, well it was kind of, it was almost mandatory to have some ted hughes shoved down your neck yeah. wasn't it about some crow or god knows what else like of you know, course like, the old ted hughes yeah exactly <laughs> um and did you did you always want to be a writer by the way what was your what sort of led you to writing travis i mean i i, I suppose so yeah i mean i was always a reader mm. um and by association that that meant you wanted yeah. To write. I mean, I was, you know, scribbling stories when I was a kid. I was very into science fiction when I was a, a kid. Things like Nicholas Fisk, uh, you know, Flamers and um, 
uh, called, um, I was in that. Anyway, but um, yeah, lots of, lots of sci-fi. You know, Douglas Adams and things. Obviously, did you read Ballard when you got a bit older? I did. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I interviewed Ballard a lot later when I got a lot older. So yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of times it? actually. But, yeah, oh wow, yeah. that's that's a, that would be. That's a not really a park. No, no. That was that would be that would be a dream come true. Dream come true yeah. for me. I bet he was amazing too. No, he was great. To yeah, he was very yeah. good. Yeah, yeah amazing. Um, but yeah, that that kind of um, that writing and yeah, kind of nature, everything sort of working working together. I guess um, hmm. yeah, in that. Um, excellent. Well, I think we'll we'll leave it there. But one thing I would like to know: um, you've written a few books, Travis. What what's uh, what's kind of next for you? Are you writing another book at the moment? Or? I, I've got an, I've done this, these series of atlas books, hmm. um, and I've got another one of those out in October, which hmm. is actually about writers' journeys. Oh. Um, so that's going to come out, I think it's October. Um, and I've got a few other projects on the go. Yeah. Um, I'm slightly cagey about a couple of them because I haven't got any contracts for them. Or anything like that, so yes. they're a bit like... But, you don't um, want to jinx things, do you? Either, yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I'm sure there'll, there'll be some other you know, wayward piece of social yeah. history coming away sometime in the next couple of years. <laughs> on, you know, like, you know. And if you want wayward pieces of social history done well, then you need to read, uh, read the Travis, uh, Travis Elber book uh travis thank you so much for Cheers, joining Chris. me today i hope thank you've you. enjoyed our, our walk much. around uh yeah, Green. Exactly. it's been very very uh very uh entertaining and enlightening for me to have you here so thank you very much i hope you enjoyed that episode of park date um there's lots more where that came from and there'll be more in the future as well if you enjoyed it, please leave a review. Um, good or bad, make them funny. I'll be reading out the best ones, and there'll be a prize for the one that makes me laugh the most. Name check some trees in your reviews and leave them wherever you get your podcast from. Check out our website, parkdate.co.uk. And um, if you see me walking around in the park, Come and say hello. I think that was the sound of someone sneezing. Um, yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. On the next episode of Park Date, you all remember celebrity singer Keith Posthumus, the man who famously spent 14 years sleeping behind a bin in Birmingham city centre. Well... Then he rose to stardom in a meteoric way. Keith and I spent a night sleeping in a dumpster stationed by the entrance to Rye Park in Peckham. And I'll have that conversation in full. And also, comic actor Hugh Grant tells us about the time that he went camping and awoke to find an irate mongoose outside his tent. It really was very, very huge. All this and more coming up in the next hilarious instalment of Park Date. Mom? 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.